Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie. How are you today? I'm really, 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 really well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. That's good. I'm super pumped for this episode. We'll chat about it in a second, but let's start with your highs and lows. Sure. My highs is I have a potty pod being set up as we speak in our backyard, which is super exciting. We've been currently renting spaces for the past year and being in in and out of different spots, haven't we, Soph? But my husband is going back to uni and we are weekly recording, so we thought it would be a good idea to get a little pod built that we can be away from the house so there's no screaming banshee children and we can get on with life. So I'm super excited excited. for the potty pod. Yeah. And any lows? Look, I tried really hard to think of a low, but I'm actually really, really happy that I don't have one this week or I can't think of one. Annoying. I know. Who am I? Gosh, this is just. Yeah, can we get the old Jade back? <laughs> <laughs> the one that whinged about it. Don't everything. worry, I'm sure I'll find something. And what about you? High of the week is that on Monday, it was Poppy's third birthday, and normally both the girls go to daycare on a Monday. And we still sent Goldie to daycare, but we kept Poppy home, and both of us took the day oh. off doing any work, and we let her just do a like choose your own adventure day. We didn't have anything planned, we just let her pick what she wanted to do and we went for brekkie and let her order whatever she wanted. We went for a swim in the pool. We picked up her new bike, went for a bike ride, made purple unicorn cupcakes for her because she's been requesting them for her birthday forever. It was just such a nice day to spend just two on one with her. And I felt really emotional this year. Her second birthday, I was kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, another year. But this year, I just felt so emotional, like really proud of her, but also like you're not a baby or a toddler anymore. Like you're a full-blown child. Mm. Did you find that with number three? Or? Sorry, I got confused with number three as a child or number three as the age. No, the age. Yeah. Um. No, no. I'm not being cold. I just didn't really feel, I think because I pumped so many, like I pumped them out in between that I was not really thinking about the age. I was like, yep, that's great. Well, I'm also thinking that maybe when Poppy turned two, Goldie was only a month old. So maybe I had just, I was so distracted. Yeah. But this year, I yeah, had a few teary's. Oh, babe. But I think it's nice that you spent that quality time with her. And that's probably what made you emotional, that you actually had that soul two-on-one time to really take in all of Pops and you haven't. Really and this is going to sound really harsh because this links into my low, but everyone's, you know, warning me about my three-nager and all of this. Mate, give me my three-year-old over my one-year-old any day at the moment. Goldie, look, I love her. I'm sorry if one day when you're 16 or whatever you come back and you listen to these podcasts, but oh my gosh, the past two weeks you have been shitting me to tears. <laughs> what is she you doing? You have been wearing me down. She is, well, I spoke last week about how I was trying to wean her and actually during the day that's going quite well, but it's just, she's really close to walking and she got in the same frustrated stage when she was really close to crawling. And I think it's when she sees other people doing things and she wants to be able to do it but 
she literally does not let me put her down. So I'm like, you won't be able to walk if your feet never touch the ground. Like she just, she's learned to just do this utter scream to be picked up. She doesn't let me put her down. I have to carry her the whole time. She's harder to put down for naps. She bit Poppy twice yesterday and me once. Like she's just. An animal. She's just hard work. And I think the thing that gets to me the most is it's just with me. And I, I know a lot of people say that and I don't know if I believed it before, but I believe it now. Like literally she goes to daycare. Her daycare teacher is like, she's the happiest, most chill bub I've ever seen. Like most of the time with Nick, she's the cruisiest thing ever. With my parents, she's super cruisy. Like one of the other dads actually at the daycare was like, oh my gosh, every time I walk in, Goldie's just like sitting in a little seat, eating her lunch, sitting there, Mm. smiling. I'm like, I cannot detach her from my side right now. And I know it's because I'm a safe place and I love her unconditionally blah 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 but I'm fucking exhausted yeah fair enough <laughs> I, I agree with you so that's my vent right. one one to one and a half is an age that I find really hard see I it's newborn I am like oh you know what are you doing you're just sitting there not really doing much and I almost like when they get like into this like crazy little asshole mood because it's just fiery and it's so annoying like don't get me wrong Yumi is <laughs> a nightmare 98% of the time at the moment. But at the same time, she's this like independent, fiery, like, and she's just like a little mini weapon and I love it. And it's the same as Mia. It's the same as Billy. Like they go through being a nothing to a something like in the space of what, a year. Yeah. And it's just, I know right now in the thick of it, it's hard and it's bloody exhausting but I guess maybe you won't look back on it and be like woohoo but I don't know I really like it. I'm all for her having her own personality I'm all for that I think it's also because as a newborn and a little baby she was so independent like she's always been a really independent sleeper she hasn't been particularly cuddly so I've been used to kind of like having my arms free and I'm not a particularly affectionate person so I get touched out really easily <laughs> and so I'm just at the stage right now where I'm like if I'm off hands and lays a hand on me I yeah. will explode so, yeah anyway that's me but on a positive note yes we freaking loved recording oh, this we episode loved it's this with one. Charlotte who her, her business name is the living doula she is a doula as the name suggests and so she talks to us all about what a doula is what they can do to help all about a restorative postpartum both of us admitted that beforehand we thought that doulas were a little bit like doula were a little bit what though like woo woo well we thought that they were just little fluffy people that just came in and fluffed up the pillows and didn't really do a lot and what we have found like was beyond what we expected like I almost am gonna have a fourth child for her Charlotte, I love you. Which is definitely saying a lot. We hope you enjoy. And then also another aspect that was really interesting is that Charlotte is a cancer survivor and Mm. she spoke to us about the impact this had on her like consideration of her fertility because she always knew she wanted to be a mother. So that was really interesting as well. So we hope you love this episode. As much as we did. Well, hello, Charlotte, a.k.a. The Living Doula. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We've had a lot of people asking for us to speak to doulas about pregnancy, birth, the postpartum period. I mean, we really would like to focus on how we can kind of have more restorative postpartum periods with you. But thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I have to say this actually was on my vision board to chat to you guys. So when you asked me, I was like, oh. 
It like was so exciting. It's such a pleasure to be here today. The power of manifestation. Absolutely. Well, Charlotte, I have a serious question to start off with. Would you like to be called Charlotte, Charlie, Shasha, Charles? Is there any like, you know, nicknames that you'd like us to call you? You can call me Shah or Charlotte. Either one fits beautifully. Not Cha-Cha, unfortunately. <laughs> Jane, Jane, <laughs> Jane was really hoping that throughout the whole episode she could call you Cha-Cha. And then we thought I that your mantra. I actually do get Cha-Cha. Yeah, I thought your mantra in birth would be like, Cha-Cha, Cha-Cha. <laughs> now, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your family? Sure. So my little tagline is I'm a mother, a lover, and a survivor. So I am a mother to my beautiful son, Rupert, and I'm also currently 22 weeks pregnant with my second child. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And then I have a beautiful partner called Jack, who we've been together for 10 years this year. And then I am from a rather large family. And for those who know me know that my family, we're like thick as thieves. They're all my absolute besties, including my parents, my siblings, all their partners. So it's pretty fun. During lockdown, we moved in together. So we've we've got this like huge household that is just like wild. But, but when she means big family, she means big family. There's like, she's one of six. And her partner is one of eight. eight. That's right. Oh, fuck. Can you get your parents on? Let's have a chat to them. They're interesting people too i they really go get the zoom queen that. yeah my mum is the official zoom queen of 2020 so we should bring her on she'd bloody love it um and then i'm also a full spectrum doula so i work with people in preconception during pregnancy and birth and also during postpartum and it's an absolute honor to support women and parents through that period of their unreal life. well just looking at you i would absolutely love to have you in my room and be my doula god it doesn't take much for jane to allow someone into her room oh you just look aesthetically pleasing <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about, you also said you're a survivor. What do you mean yes, by that? Yes, of course. So at 24, I was diagnosed with probably everybody's worst nightmare. I was diagnosed with cancer as a young adult. So mm. I was diagnosed with a rare blood cancer. Hodgkin's lymphoma is what the big old nasty title of it was. By the time I was actually diagnosed, unfortunately, the disease was quite advanced. So it was stage four um, oh my advanced God. cancer. So it took a very long time for me to be diagnosed, which is a whole other thing in itself but young women tend to get overlooked in the medical system, which is a bit of a shame and can feel like they're being dramatic or whatever. And unfortunately, I went to multiple doctors who just kept saying, you just run down, you just need to take better care of yourself. And I'm like... It was just a crazy, crazy time of life, but I was so, so grateful to have finally been diagnosed. It was like when I was diagnosed, it was almost a relief to finally know yeah. what was going on and that I wasn't cr- going crazy and that my body was How really, really unwell. How come it took so long to get a diagnosis? Do they not find it in like blood tests? So my white blood cell count was up, but they just kept saying, oh, I think you're just fighting an infection. I just really got missed. And unfortunately, I just slipped through the system. And it wasn't until I went to a doctor who is more of a holistic professional. He was like, nah, there's something going on here and we're going to get to the bottom of it. And I saw multiple specialists. The one, I had one symptom that's quite a major symptom that I didn't get, which was night sweats. And I just never got that symptom. So it was just one of those things that they're like, well, you're not getting the night sweats. And so I just kind of slipped under, slipped under, slipped under. But you're like, 
like, what about all these other exactly. things? I had like a crazy rash. I'd lost like 15% of my body weight. I'd had lumps all over my body. I was really tired all the time, struggling to breathe. Like so many awful symptoms that as a 24 year old, we're like, it wasn't matching up or computing in my mind why I was no. unwell. I did own a small business at that time. I was working really long hours and, you know, burning the candle at both ends, so to speak. But even my mum said, she goes, I had a baby. I also owned a business at that age and was, you know, partying on the weekend and I was fine. She's yeah. like, there's something not right here. So yeah, finally we got to doctors who heard me and wanted to see the end of it and wanted some answers. And once I was in their care, everything just kind of started to flow from there. But that was when the seed was planted for me to start exploring becoming a doula, mainly because when I was diagnosed, I wasn't actually afraid of dying. I was scared of not being able to be a mum, mm-hmm. not being able to be a parent. So as soon as I said that, I was like, no, because coming from big, big family, Jack and I both have so passionate about becoming parents, also being young parents. So the fact that that almost felt like it was going to be taken away from me and somebody I loved so deeply and wanted to spend the rest of my life with, I was like, I can't do this to him. I can't live if I don't have this future ahead of me that I've dreamed of, you know? So and what is stage four? Yeah. Like, isn't, is that the worst case scenario? It is, yeah. But does that mean that you're going to die so with this cancer the chemotherapy is pretty bloody fantastic and most people have really wonderful success with this particular treatment as hardcore it is and as aggressive that type of cancer was the recovery rate is really wonderful mm-hmm. i had someone once insensitively say to me it's like the asthma of cancer which at the time i was like <laughs> fuck people can't have to do six standards. months of bloody chemotherapy and go through ivf and all that and i was like they were just trying to calm me down and make me feel yeah. better. But it was like, yeah. So anyway. So what were the stages you had to go through, you know, in terms of your fertility before starting chemotherapy? So as soon as I met my specialist, I let him know that my biggest fears were around fertility and not being able to have children. And I was really, really grateful because I was quite I needed to start treatment quite quickly. He graciously gave me the two weeks that I required in order to meet my fertility specialist and go to IVF, which I'm so grateful for at the time because I know that I think he could have gone one way or the other and gone really pressured me to go, I think you need to start chemo tomorrow, basically. And I've met people who were diagnosed one day and started the next day. He knew that that was probably my highest priority was to make sure that I could have babies afterwards. So I went to meet a beautiful fertility specialist who checked basically my egg count, checked the health of my own is just I'd never experienced any form of, you know, endometriosis or polycystic ovaries. I'd never had any hormonal problems. So it was the first time I'd had that kind of looked at and just checked on. And I got really- Which probably was scary in itself because, I mean, you've just had this horrendous diagnosis and then you're also going along and being like, you know, you're not getting checked out at the peak of your health. So you're like there probably like, oh God, what if they tell me that my egg count is really low or- Absolutely. And my mum came with me to that appointment and- once again, I just naturally just I manifested the most amazing doctors and specialists at that time. And I had people who I really trusted and really heard me, which I'm really, really I feel really blessed that I had that because I know so many people who go through a medical system where they just don't feel heard, don't feel listened to. It still happens today in the birthing community. You know, mm. it's quite common, but I just had people who really heard me and could see what my goals were and were really willing to help me achieve those goals. So this doctor was really gentle. And I don't know, I just trusted her the instant I walked in that room. But yeah, it was scary. 
scary because I was like, the last thing I needed right then and there was to be like, listen, we found something that isn't great, but it was all fine. And Mm -hmm. I was really nervous. It was more just the decision-making process. You're thrown into making decisions Mm. that you've never, ever, ever thought about in your life before. And my parents had never been sick like this. I didn't have anyone close to me that had ever gone through anything like this. So it was very much fish out of water kind of thing. But I went through the preservation. So basically the egg preservation, which is basically where you have hormone injections over like a period of time where it boosts your ability to produce eggs. So it's like you're going through a, an ovulation period, but it's like mm. a lot of eggs. So your ovaries like swell to the size of grapefruits, basically like not really comfortable, but women do this every day. Like this is something that, you know, women and trans women as well, go through this every day to kind of get this going on in their bodies and so many of them do it in silence as well which is you know they're doing it in the cupboard at work kind of thing you know it's wild to think about obviously mine was a a specific set of circumstances where it was more of an insurance policy hang on what are they doing in the cupboard at work doing like their injections and things like that okay (laughs) but I guess in your situation and I'm not discounting anyone else's circumstance they're obviously going to want to somewhat push you to the edge because any other person going through IVF, generally it's like, okay, well, if we don't get enough eggs now, there is another opportunity. Whereas yours is like, as soon as you finish this, you are starting chemotherapy. Yes. It was a one chance situation. And does chemo kill all your eggs? It doesn't. So most people who had my type of cancer tend to not do the IVF like round. It's suggested, but it's a lot of people don't tend to do it because there's really good chances because you're so young of having children afterwards. So my cancer is between 15 and 30 is the age range of being diagnosed and when it kind of hits your system. But the main age is around 20 to 25. That's, you know, the height of diagnosis. And it's saying that only one in 500 in Australia are diagnosed per year usually. So it's quite uncommon. But the real risk is not that your eggs will die off. It's that you'll have early onset menopause. So it will wreak havoc with your endocrine system and then you will have menopause at 30 35 now if you're haven't met your partner yet and you're not looking to have children before that age that's really where the risk arises so for me my mum had her last child at 40 about to turn 41 and they were like that's a tick you've got high egg count that's a tick you're young and in love and with the person you see yourself having children with that's a tick. So really the odds were on my side and I felt quite positive. But my mum said to me when we left that appointment that day, she said, are you going to be thinking about this every single time you go to chemo, worried that if it, yeah. your body is getting destroyed by chemo, she's like, it's not worth it. I think you just need to do it just to put your mind at ease and know that you just need to focus on you for the next six months to a year. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I would be an anxious mess waiting to find out if my body was okay after the fact. And I'd never had a pregnancy or anything like that. So I didn't know even know if I could fall pregnant, really. It's very experimental, it all feels like. But you have to go through counselling to make sure that you're sane to like have a child and things like that before you have IVF. Like there were so many things that I did not realise that you go through. And then if you're creating embryos as well, like both people need to be vetoed basically by this. So did you decide to freeze your eggs or did you decide to freeze embryos? I did eggs. Embryos took a little bit longer and it was (laughs) like having frozen children. Like there was a bit of like a, what would happen if you decided, if Jack decided to not have, do you know what I mean? There was like two. Oh, totally. I mean, I've seen you and Jack together. Like you're very much soulmates. I don't think you you would have chosen not to be together, but if you were to choose to have frozen embryos and then you can't conceive afterwards, but then with someone else, like you're like, oh shit, all my eggs have got him attached to them. Yeah. (laughs) And there was like this weird looming thing that's like, if I didn't survive, Jack could still use the embryos. And I was like, that's so random. Like 
that there could be a child born. It was just, it was too science experiment for me at the time. And I was like, yeah. it's too much to think about. That's There's enough. enough science going on Absolutely. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, so I had the surgery, which was a 15 minute surgery, very seamless, quick in and out, which is basically where they just go in and use a needle to like pull out the eggs. I had a really good count of 12 eggs by the end of it, which I was really happy with. And they've been frozen ever since. So you didn't use need them. the eggs for either? I didn't them, no. So I have not had to step back into a fertility preservation site since that day which is wow, great wow wow yeah so i guess maybe that because i know there's a lot of women who go through ivf who are then torn about leaving embryos behind mm. like someone i know they got three embryos and they've had two put back in which have both resulted in children and she's kind of like i always saw myself having a family with two children but like mm. three children is a very normal sized family so i feel like i can't leave that embryo oh. there <laughs> <laughs> don't you know there's something yeah, maybe different and I'm not guilting anyone who's left embryos behind that's a massive decision to have more children but I feel like there's something easier about leaving eggs than there are there is to embryos. me it just feels like there's 12 periods sitting there and I lost my period during <laughs> chemo so it kind of just feels okay to me like it's just you know just, <laughs> just sitting cycle. there in. so yeah I have a comfortable relationship with it now but it's expensive you know it's a full-on process so it's something that you know still costs annually $500 a year just to keep them frozen so it's a it's a commitment, you know. Now that I've had two babies, I feel quite confident in my body's ability now and really trust that whatever will be will be. But So what happens if you don't pay for them to be frozen? They just let them go. They ba- Yeah, they basically just let them Can go. you give them to someone else? You can, yeah. So you can, you can donate, donate them, them to someone or donate them to science too. Yes, correct. So I could also say if my sisters were having yeah. trouble falling pregnant, they could use my eggs if they didn't have the ability to. It's pretty beautiful. And so for me, that was also part of my decision-making process. It was like, well, well, we might all gain from this one day kind of thing, mm. you know? But then you're also like, how long do I pay $500 a year for a potential gain <laughs> exactly. from someone And it's somewhere. a memory. It's it's a memory of what I went through and sometimes that reminder coming up every six months is not my favourite thing to be reminded about. So it's one of those things you just go, hmm. How long did you do chemo for or are you like where are we? Yes. Where are we at? So I'm currently in remission. It's my five years in July since I was diagnosed. Congratulations. Which Thank you, which means I will be fully in the clear and I won't have to see specialists again, which is really exciting. So that's, yeah, in July of this year, very close to the due date of this baby actually, which is quite cute. And then I had six months of chemo, which was every two weeks. So fortnightly treatments where I would sit in a chair in a chemo day unit for about four hours at a time. And the drugs would take about that long to go through my system. So I had like an IV drip in and it would go through. So I'd had four different types. So it's A, B, V, D, which they all have a different, you know, scientific name that I won't bore you with, but I ended up having a reaction to one of them. So I ceased that treatment with about two months to go of my treatment, which is where my lungs had a reaction. And I was hospitalized for a little while because I couldn't breathe. So it's like the scarring on my lungs was like I'd been smoking a pack of day and I've never been a smoker. So they were like, that's definitely the chemo. So we had to stop that one. But I I was having really good results and I went into remission like six weeks into treatment, but I had to finish the course. But yeah, I had really great results really quickly, which I was relieved obviously we were all relieved to have and yeah and then after that it was like when can I start trying for a baby when can I start this journey to motherhood and they were like you have to wait 18 months from the beginning of chemo so I had a year to wait until I could really start trying basically and we literally like counting down 
<laughs> I really was. Do you think you started trying earlier than you would have if this whole experience hadn't have happened? Do you think it gave you an even greater drive? Yeah, I do think it gave me a greater drive. Jack and I had already decided when I was going through the testing phase, things were already landing for me and things were becoming very apparent. What doesn't matter and what does matter. Mm. My health is really important. And what do we want to do with our lives and all this stuff? Because we were thinking I was going to get the all clear and it was going to be like, oh my God, this is so exciting. It's like an autoimmune thing and we're going to be fine, you know, like, and unfortunately it was, you know, not that, but at the same time, we'd already decided that in two years, we're going to have a baby or we're going to be pregnant. And that's kind of where we're going. And realistically, that's kind of what ended up happening. It was two years of wild times, but it actually still ended up happening within that time frame, which is crazy, but it turned out how we kind of planned, which is beautiful. So amazing. Now tell us a bit about Charlotte, the doula. What made you get into this line of work? And maybe just start with what is a doula? I would love to know the answer to this. You know what? This is one of those questions that I think is like so hard to answer because each doula is such a representation of who they are and their own experiences. And and they bring all of that to the table, you know, which is fantastic because all of us need different kinds of doulas. You're not going to have the same type of doula that I would have and vice versa. Like it's all. Well, Jade's having you apparently. Yeah. I feel like we would have the same. Exactly. We would have like, we've we've got this down pat. It's going to be fun. Good on you. You've known one another for like uh, five minutes, 22 minutes. So well. (laughs) So basically my interpretation of a doula and one that I think lands and resonates with many doulas out there is that they are an emotional and spiritual support for mainly the parent or the mother. So it's nothing to do with the baby. It's not about the baby's health. It's all about nurturing and supporting a mother or a parent through the journey of conception, pregnancy, birthing and beyond. Also, there's such things as death doulas. So it's really about what? Yeah. There's death doulas who help families navigate letting go of a loved one, especially if somebody's in palliative care or been sick for a long time, wow. helping to facilitate that process to make sure that they're really so you're present. like little real life angels. They are real life angels. I think it's a very, very beautiful and specialized way of being involved in, in really human experiences. The things that we all yeah. have in common are birth, life, death, you know, these are the big things that happen to all of us. We, we can't escape them. And to have somebody there that just brings, for me, it's I use the word reverence. It's like such a huge moment in somebody's life. And I know that you guys have had kids. You can't deny the hugeness of the moment that is becoming a parent. And then again, even after. I was going to say, and then every day thereafter. Exactly. <laughs> it's the most powerful transition. I love this quote. It's like parenthood is the fastest way to enlightenment because all of your shit comes up. You can't escape it. you got to look at it and you're like, wow. Okay, so that's who I am, radio. Owning your shit. (laughs) And then you're in it and you're like, what do I do now, you know? And having a doula just forces you to have time for you to reflect on that, find some answers. And most doulas are very passionate about you finding those answers for yourself. Believe that the answers are within you. It's just in our modern society, we don't often have the space to find the time to, you know, pick that apart and really make sense of it. I actually didn't know that that's what a doula was. I didn't know if you guys were ones that assisted in birth. I didn't know it was all like about the mental health really of a mother and possibly the partner as well. But with one of my pregnancies, this midwife, and she semi-felt like a doula-ish type of person (laughs) because she, in my birth, dimmed the lights, really channeled into what I wanted. She was calming. She was nurturing. And, like, it was the best birth I've ever had. And I think that imagining having that before birth, like in pregnancy, and having that person understand who you are throughout 
all of your pregnancy, be there for the birth and then postpartum. I just think that is like a real safety net and a a real beautiful, beautiful experience to have also for yourself as a doula. But as a mother, I think that is if I was going to, and I'm definitely not, but if I was going to have a fourth child, someone did actually dream about it the other day, but we won't go there. (laughs) I would 1000% have a doula and it would be you. It would be me, which is great. (laughs) I'm going to keep setting all these fertile vibes to you. (laughs) Please don't. What training has or does a doula have? How do you become a doula? So to become a doula, there's no certified board that you need to meet the requirements of, which I think is wonderful because it keeps people in their individual lane, keeps them working within Mm. their scope. Most people come with other forms of training. So there's lots of naturopath doulas. There's lots of massage therapist doulas. You know, they come with this kind of other set of skills, which I think is great and, you know, is wonderful because, like I said, every single person is kind of, you know, got their own needs and wants and desires when they're looking at their own experience. There's lots of short courses that you can do and in each country it's different for the specific yeah, country or state that you're living in. Mm. But basically there's other doulas who've basically shared their learnings and continue to share. And there's some fantastic courses in Australia, which I've been lucky enough to attend, which is awesome. Most doulas tend to continue to add to their training as they go along. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I can definitely see myself doing as well, just continuously adding. Because at the end of the day, a doula is almost, a doula can't doula somebody unless they've doula themselves as well. You know, they've got a doula. That's a lot of doulas. (laughs) A lot of doulas, babe. Holy dooly. <laughs> and there's no like, it, the word is a Greek, like it's a Greek word that has, you know, been passed down, but it basically means like support person for people who go through major transitions. And I think that Beautiful. is truly just like in a little succinct way, that is what it is. Yeah. So did you doula yourself through your first pregnancy and no, birth? I had a doula. And- mm-hmm. So I employed a beautiful doula called Leah, who's now my very close friend and I guess co-worker, like colleague. Um, and she, yeah, we just, it was such a wonderful experience and something because I was going through the public system here in Victoria and I felt that I needed more and coming from somebody like I'd had this huge cancer experience that I knew I needed to kind of reflect on and learn from, which I'd already done a lot of, but to become the parent that I wanted to be, I think I really needed to bring those lessons over and kind of make sense of how I was going to navigate all of that. And for me, that's one of the reasons why I decided to become a doula was because I'd had such a huge health crisis before I became pregnant. There was a lot of mistrust that I had with my body and a lot of doubt that I'd had in my body's ability to be well and, you know, conceive naturally and all of these little challenges along the way. I also had a miscarriage before I fell pregnant with my first live pregnancy, Rue. So it was, there was a lot of like layers that I needed to pull apart, which was really healthy. So that's why I decided to have a doula because I was like, I understand that birth is spiritual and emotional as well as it being a physical experience. Mm. So I employed her to then navigate the hospital system because doulas are also birth educators. They're also, you know, there to nurture and care for you in other ways of like helping you navigate conversations and understanding the system that you're choosing to make sure that your goals are set. Because if you're, you set goals that you want to have this kind of birth, but the hospital that you're in doesn't actually provide that, then you're kind of screwed. So Andula helps you navigate mm. that and kind of understands all the systems that you can choose from. And then you go Amazing. from there, which is great. So I chose to have a doula, which was a really great experience. And one that I, I'm so glad I was so gun ho about it because it was really powerful for me, but I think Jack probably 
probably got as much or if not more than me because he learned how to take care of me and learned how to support me to the point where we actually didn't have my doula in the room when I actually gave birth. Oh, oh wow. Jack was so passionate about our birth plan. He was so passionate about what I wanted because he ended up wanting a very similar experience and it, yeah, really uncommon. But my doula was so proud of us because she was like, it's like, I'm so proud of what we achieved in that those workshop spaces because you guys got it. Like you actually did it. And, and we really did have, um, yeah, at that time it was the birth of our dreams for sure. And how, if someone's pregnant, how would they go about finding a doula? Like what questions should someone ask? Is there a doula directory? How many... <laughs> You just like the word doula, hey? Doula. And also like at what gestation should you look for one? For, I don't think there's any right answer for the gestation. If you feel like you need support in your first trimester, get out there and go find one because. Mm. Hell yes, I did. Can you come and just my pat family? my back while I <laughs> vomit? Like is that in your job description? It is absolutely a part of my job description. Absolutely a part of just having that person there for you to also just call me like this Yeah, sucks, I was going to ask you. Is I love there like- my baby, but this fucking Suck. But yeah. also during pregnancy, is there like, you know, you're allowed 20 phone calls to like pick up the phone and be like, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Do you answer all those random questions in the middle of the night when you do give birth and you don't know what you're doing? Like, is this a support that we're talking about? Yes. So it's really having wow. like a sister, a best friend, a mother that is purely there for you with no judgment, with no preconceived yes. ideas. A doula's ideal is your ideal. So we're working towards the same thing. It's all well and good if you call your mom in the middle of the night and she's like well this is what I did yeah, and you're like well, mom, it's a different time yeah we're not doing the same thing actually you know so yeah. it's no offense mom yeah I mean I love my mom and she's <laughs> bloody amazing and I do call her. Well, she's had six kids. <laughs> yeah. And she really was my doula in the postpartum phase. My mom was. She yeah. was like incredible. But if you don't have that, which a lot of people don't have those connections, they may live away from family. They may not have those deep connections. Their parents may not be living right now. You know, there's so many challenges. that. Or <laughs> even if your mom has had six kids, you could have extremely different views, values, like wants mm-hmm. for how you want to raise your children. I think that even if someone's had six kids, that doesn't make them an expert on your children child or you. Absolutely. And we are, we're all different individuals figuring it out. And no matter what, no matter how much preparation you have, there's still shit that knocks the wind out of you when you become a parent and you need to have somebody to debrief that with. Because in my experience and in my belief system, if you do not cope or if you do not have the ability to chat through this stuff and figure it out, it comes out sideways. It comes out somewhere Mm -hmm. else in your life. And then you're forced to look at it, which I think we can all probably say that, yes, that is true. That if you're not focusing on it, it comes out somewhere else and you're like, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. No. And how often do you visit? Everyone has different packages. So for me, it's in a postpartum phase. I'm really there for those first six weeks. So you guys may be familiar with the book, The First 40 Days, which is very popular. That's, you know, from Chinese medicine that's been brought down that uh, or from the Chinese culture. That's where that first 40 days comes from. But most cultures, except for the Western culture, <laughs> have yeah, you know, naturally an ingrained sacred period of rest That is just expected among everybody. That birthing person now needs to rest, now needs to recover. There's often a specific diet. There's often a specific set of ways to care. So either it's bed rest for those 40 days or don't leave the home for those 40 days. There's very specific, you know, little points in each culture. But yeah, the most well-known is the first 40 days and the first six weeks of having a newborn, which is, you know, a very tentative time. And in the Western world, would you be there? Like, do you stay? Do you drop in once a day or how does it, like, I I guess it tailors to what the the mother needs and wants, but how much 
can we have you? So it's a 24-7 care package, basically. So you can text or call at any given time in those first six weeks. This is obviously for postpartum package. And they're usually weekly visits in those six-week periods of three hourly visits. And in those visits, you may have a massage. You may have, uh, I would often cook and, you know, tidy the house for you and make sure that Holy, you can I book you in now like is it too late <laughs> no it's not and this is still postpartum really two years important. later postpartum is forever you are forever changed after you've had your babies like I don't know if you guys know this but your brain actually physically changes shape after each I, I didn't know it changed shape but my galley it, it got has smaller shrunk. <laughs> so it the actually shrinks are not firing is, how they used to it actually shrinks which is not it doesn't sound like no, i'm not surprised thing. mine did shrink <laughs> but you get smarter which is actually you know we get this thing called baby brain but it's actually yes. a baby boosted brain because the way that we can multitask the way that our brain can take in a lot of information at different yeah, times the efficiency the efficiency oh. the way we can figure things out the way we can think about something Something else at the same time like Lists. this is stuff that is incredible and that is more and more studies are being done on it but even if you've had a miscarriage your body and your brain is changed from falling pregnant and then every trimester it changes continuously after that so and i'm not i'm not being sexist but this is why women do give birth because we are capable of multitasking and this is the thing our brain actually shifts and changes in order to cope with all that's happening all the moving parts to being a parent wow. like it's incredible there's often the perception that doulas are against medical intervention or doctors are against doulas do you find that this is the case? I mean, you know, with every career or every, you know, path that you choose, there's radical versions of everything. Yeah, absolutely. But my experience and what I'm seeing in the birth community, especially in Australia right now, is doulas are there to advocate for you. Their main goal, like what I mentioned earlier, is all about what you want, your needs, your desires. When you're in the birthing space, it's like a beautiful metaphor, I guess. Everybody's looking at what's happening down the business end. You know, everyone's worried about yeah. this thing that's happening. A doula's worried about what you can't see. A doula's like, what has the mother had a drink? What's she doing right now? Where's her head going? Shit, the music stopped. I better go start that again. Oh, those essential oils are making her feel nauseous right now. We're going to change that up. She needs a massage. She needs to change position. These are the things that, you know, you can't see. Okay, the partner's getting really exhausted. He needs to go out and have a breather and just walk out in fresh air for a little bit. I'm going to hold it down in here. These are the things like the unseen is what it's Like you don't care how many centimetres dilated she is. Absolutely not. But mentally you want to make sure that she's okay in every stage and process. Yes. And for me, it's not about how the birth goes down. It's not about the birth story and the nitty gritty details. Mm -hmm. It's not about whether or not she had an epidural or whether or not she had a cesarean. It's about how she feels about that story. If she feels empowered and like a goddamn warrior, we done our job, kids. It's good. You know, like she's walking into motherhood with confidence and feeling loved and held and supported. And like she did her best in there. There's so much shame around birth. There's so much trauma around it. If we can start to change the narrative about what it is, the details, we can just relieve all of the pressure that goes in before we even walk into that birthing space. We can just take that off our mums and go, whatever happens in there, You've already done the work. You're already incredible, you know, and unfortunately. I just got goosebumps. This is going to sound really weird. You're like semi-turning me on. <laughs> what? 
Uh, okay. Oh, this is like, I am so excited to like Whoa, give your birth again. Hard. Shut up. I've got a top on. <laughs> no, it's just like, like a mum turn on thing. Yeah. Like, it's just like, like, I'm not saying that I actually want to like jump oh, into home. the screen and, you know, bend it over. Quickly pleasing, I believe the comment was earlier. <laughs> but it's just like everything that, uh, that, let that me... as a mother you want, like just to feel held and heard and. But we that's what I mean. That's why I have stiff nipples. <laughs> my my turn on's a little bit different. It's way more sexual. But I think that when I listen to you in my interpretation is more like I really envy or I'm inspired by what you do as a job. And I really wish that I had that journey in, well, especially my third pregnancy, that would have been absolutely incredible. And I feel like for the people that don't have a lot of support, oh my goodness, especially postpartum, mm-hmm. get that doula in the last few yeah, weeks like how when much, you need it. How much, I know this is going to be yeah. how long's a piece of string, but where do we begin at to have a Magicorn Unicorn Princess how much with us? us? How much? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's people think it's really, really, really crazy expensive. And for me, the way I look at birth is I don't think this is a large investment for your long-term health because yeah. I really do believe that it's an investment now that pays off long-term. And we're, there's loads of research coming out now that is what we do in those first 40 days, in those first six weeks, sets the stage for the rest of our life, especially for our, the life of our hormonal health and mental health as well. So we're looking at- a yeah, What is that worth? Like what is that? What exactly? What is that worth yeah. realistically? But for a postpartum doula for those first six weeks, you're really looking at anywhere from a starting range of like $500 through to like the VIP package of 3000 which... Oh, that's see, that's not actually as much as I would expect no. at all. No, I think people... There's I a real, mean, yeah, that's a perfect price. Don't raise it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so there's literally so many different types of doulas, so many different types of skill sets, but it's often that the misconception is that the rich and famous have doulas, which is not actually the case because often people who've had rich and famous tend to have, you know, a very expensive OBGYN and they tend to go through the private system. They tend to be under this illusion that they don't actually need it because they've had the hotel experience birth or the, you know, luxe food brought to their room or whatever. And it's like, no, it starts when you go home. That's when you need the structures in place. Oh, mate, I was in a private hospital. I tell you what, that food oh my god I was eating the like par cooked bacon and sausages for breakfast my farts were so bad Nick Nick was like I'm cutting you off you are no longer eating anything that is served to you here and I will leave and bring in every meal for you because what is coming out of you that is not healing you like that is not okay it was so funny my friend who gave birth and we were sharing the same room her husband would come in with bone broth and my husband would come in with maggie (laughs) And I would just be eating and the the nurse came in and said, Jade, you're already constipated. You might want to go. Lay off the hash browns. (laughs) You might want to go some prunes. (laughs) And I did and it worked. It was fun. Well, I'm glad. But no, that thing though, it's 
survival mode. We're all just doing our bloody best, you know, and there's already enough on the co-parent to go and support you. And they've just gone through birth as well. And they sometimes walk away with birth trauma. You know, there's everybody needs to process after such a huge moment, you know. And this is why I love that you guys come home and you're there postpartum, because especially with like, say you've got one or two or three or four more children and you're having an additional child, it is so much pressure Mm -hmm. for your partner to take on that extra role while you're trying to rest. And if you have someone there that's not family or friend related, I actually feel like it's better paying for a professional to come and help you because you don't have to feel guilt or you don't have to feel like you're well, you don't even really bugging have to ask people for anything. They just know. And right. you like your husband could possibly go back to work or drop off all the kids or do all the other things while you're doing and nurturing and cl- like it's just I, I am love blown this. away. I thought it was so much more expensive than that. Mm. And I mean I'm I'm not saying it's an insignificant amount of money, but if you think about how quickly you spend $500 on yeah. stuff for your baby. I mean, we have even said this before. We're like, even say $1,000, put that aside instead of buying just a ridiculous amount of clothes and stuff and things for your baby, put it aside so that you can buy some clothes postpartum that you feel good in rather than looking at your previous wardrobe and just feeling shit about yourself or imagine having a baby sprinkle and people chipping in to give you a doula postpartum yeah well i mean baby shower gifts would get to 500 dollars like that imagine a postpartum do you take doula gift vouchers yes absolutely most doulas do gift vouchers because i think that that to me is such a beautiful way of being supported by your community if everyone chips in together to make sure that you are held during that time and that you are good Because it's a very, like, it doesn't always make sense to have a visitor coming around every couple of hours to drop off a meal or want to see the baby. Like, you're going through enough. You got your nipples out. You got bloody stuff everywhere. The house often feels like shit. And it's really hard to drop those pressures and those expectations that we feel around hosting people, taking care, making sure things look amazing. Because, you know, I mean, Jesus, people are quick to judge and quick to kind of go, you okay? Or they come around and then they leave and you're washing their glasses and you're like, oh, mate. There's a lot. In the way of educating the general community about how to take care of people. Um, well, let's move on to that because I know that restorative mm. postpartum, obviously, as we've been saying, is really important to you. Yes. If it is someone who doesn't want a doula or can't afford a doula, like how can we do this? So I have a couple of tips that I feel like I actually didn't have a postpartum doula. I really relied on my family and friends to be there for me during that time. Well, to be fair, you've got about 800 of them. <laughs> well, exactly. I kind of thought, you know, if, if I can't ask now, when can I ask for their help? <laughs> if they put in like 30 minutes each, you've got like 24 hours covered. <laughs> done and dusted basically, which was great. And they honestly did really do that. They were just beside themselves in order, like oh. so excited to help me and, and support Jack and I. So I love your family. I feel like I want to move in. We get that a oh, lot. No. And we always, we've always got extra ta- extra seats at the Christmas table, babe. We love them well. I think it's like one, one more mouth to feed doesn't really matter when you've already got no. people. Yeah. So my my tips are, and I really think this applies to people who live maybe rural, maybe people who live away from families, yes. people who are maybe in a new state or in a new country where they don't really have a community yet. I mean, you hear so many people moving at 35 weeks pregnant and setting up a whole new life or whatever, you know, you just yeah. never know 
what's going to happen to life. Or I guess especially countries right now where they can't have visitors and And that kind of thing. There was a real need and demand for doulas last year, especially in in those states like Victoria that were locked down for long periods of time. And I knew a few doulas who were like, I need to get in my car and leave my 5K radius in order to support the people that were needing it. Because, yeah, their parents were doing it tough out there last year. Oh, absolutely. I can only... Um, To be left alone during that time is just not cool at all. Yeah. Uh, You know, grandparents meeting from the window and things like that. No, thank you. So basically my biggest advice is stock the freezer. Recipes have some wonderful freezer meals. Oh, love the You jumped in there before I even had to, girl. I'll send you your check in the mail. I know I planned that one well. But, you know, this is the thing, like you really do need to get prepared. If this is the situation that you find yourself in, you only got you to answer to, babe. You got to take care of you and really find your why that you're doing it. Because when you have a why, it makes it easier to ask for help and it makes it easier to, to commit to the practices that are going to support you in that long term. Most people would go, oh, you know, it'll be fine. And really throw caution to the wind. All they focus on is the birth and they don't focus mm. about that time afterwards. The time afterwards is actually when you do have a little bit more control, you know, in a birth space, like, of course, we can do all the planning, but whatever happens on that day is, you know, just it's magic. And it, there's all these different moving parts to a birth, right? But that postpartum period is something that we can prepare and create a little bit of structure around that I think really can help people thrive in that postpartum and have a really beautiful restorative time rather than waiting on those Uber Eats deliveries. And a lot of people don't realize you're really thirsty. You're really tired. You're really hungry when you're breastfeeding a lot of the time as well. And there's a lot of physical things that are happening in your body in that time that we're just not prepared for. You know, if you've lost a lot of blood, if you are experiencing third degree tears and you've got, there's a lot happening for our bodies. Mm. If you're having trouble breastfeeding, it's a full-time job breastfeeding, by the way, if you're planning to breastfeed. So you don't have time to get up and make yourself meals and get things sorted, these really lavish, nourished, nutritional meals. There's just no time for that. And this is what listening to you and having a doula is just perfect for because what you're saying, we don't hear once we've had a baby. It just all seems to go back to normal. So you just assume that you have to it's do like, it oh, all. The baby sleeps so much. And you you are bleeding and it's really, really hard. And when your letdown's coming and you're struggling, like having that latch on and then a baby or a child screaming in the corner, like it is so, so mentally overwhelming, let alone physically overwhelming. But having someone like you just giving that confidence and reassurance as in, you know, like you have given me so many goosebumps in this episode because you are, you are literally just reinstating what we should and what we should know about ourselves. And really it's simple, but it's not given enough emphasis. But even just saying, you know, like you guys, of course, (laughs) but also like you guys, you know, you've got a lot on your plate right now. You've just given birth. Is there anything I can do? Because you are already doing like way too much hearing that and knowing that mentally in a really low time like you get your three-day blues or whatever the hell they call it and some people get more than that but to have that like reinforcement 
in that time, I reckon that would have really, really helped me. Absolutely. I think so much about this is education-based. It's about understanding what is actually happening for you. And I think that's often a doula's biggest job, especially on their Instagram profile or wherever they're engaging with their clientele. It's about educating people as to why it's important to have this support. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a doula. It just means that you have to know what to expect in this period and in this time and be prepared for anything, just how we would prepare for, you know, people do more research on their than they would do for their pram. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and spend a lot more on their pram than they would on themselves. And what I want people to hear and really take away from this episode is that that is doing a disservice to you and your family if you are not investing in yourself and your health because if you are not good, your family is not good. Like we know when we're off, the whole family's off. Like my mum's oh, always said off. to me, when the mum is good, everyone just seems to be okay. You know, dad can be doing whatever, but if mum's off, everybody notices. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. Everyone breaks down. It's just, we, we need to have more education around it. We need to be having these honest conversations around it and people being, there's also this superhero, super, you know, woman thing that Oh, we talk about this all the time. It shits us to fucking tears. Such bullshit. And we need to start ripping that down because it is not real. It doesn't exist. And there is no woman that can do it all without like an incredible community behind her, you know, and this is just what we need to start seeing. 100%. My husband said last week, oh, look, I cleaned the kitchen, did a few things. I did a fucking lot of things. But anyway, he was like, you're a superwoman. And I'm like, don't call me that. And he's like, but you are, you're a super. And I said, honestly, that is an insult. Do not call me that. I remember being triggered when I was having postnatal depression that when people would say that I'm a super mum, I would have this huge issue with being called it because it was like I was living up to some stupid ass expectation. And then my grandma, God love her, every time I call her with my problems, she will say, Jade, you're not a superwoman. And I can't tell you how refreshing that oh, answer is. Sigh. She's like, you're not a superwoman. And I'm like, I am not a superwoman. You were right. Mm. Like, just let go a little bit. I remember in your postnatal depression episode, I called you a superwoman and you were like, do not call me that. <laughs> yeah. and I, was like, I was trying to be complimentary, yeah, but, but I not. get it. Because then if you hold yourself in that regard, that's what you always have to live up to. Yeah. yeah. And we aren't. We're just doing what we can. And everyone's doing their best at any God-given moment, you know, like as parents, like we are always showing up every day, doing our best, whether or not we're postnatally depressed, whether or not we're kicking goals and, you know, all of a sudden got the energy to go out and kick the footy and then all of a sudden got the energy to go to the super, you know, whatever it is, like we are always just showing up in that moment. I think parenting makes you so present in the moment and during your postpartum is a stage of your life where you can feel really out of the moment and really out of your body and out of your, the experience and a doula and support and community can help you land back in that experience and realize the depth of the change that's happening to you as a person, the depth of transformation that's happening to you within your community Mm. as well. Like I remember that feeling going, I am so responsible. Holy shit. Like, but I'm not, not. I still feel like me, the transformation wasn't complete yet. You know, I really don't think it was till Rupert was three or four months old that I started to go, Oh, I'm a mum. I'm an adult now. now. You know? It was for so long. I would catch someone say something, something mum or something, something your daughter. And I'd be like, are, they talking are you talking about me? Yeah. Like I would just be like, yeah, I've had this baby, but am I a – oh, she's my daughter. I remember like, booking her up and saying, my son. Like I said it so weird because it wasn't <laughs> – 
Lord, I wasn't I there yet, you know. And this is what I mean when I talk about this emotional and spiritual experience. There's a lot to debrief after a birth, which is also a really important service that a postpartum doula offers. It's talking through that birth without judgment, reframing things. You know, language yes. is so powerful. When you talk about superwoman, that's a trigger for you. For some people, then it, there's many, many other words. Language is incredibly powerful when we're going through this time. And people can say things when we're very vulnerable that leave a lasting impact that can be really dangerous. So it's working through that and and learning to how to ask for what we need, I think is one of the biggest things and one of the biggest tips that I want pregnant people and people who are looking to conceive to start looking into. So other than stocking the freezer with recipes, food, what else can we do or ask for? Because I feel like people go, just let me know if I can help with anything. And you're just in this space going, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what I can ask for what's inappropriate, what I want. Yes. And for first-time parents, they don't know what they're going to need. You know, it's a very mm. open-ended question. However, my biggest thing is you need to be fed. I think this is the biggest way to help a newborn parent. So other than stocking the freezer for your, you know, little here and there meals and getting organised for that, as a community, you need to be aware that people need food dropped off and food that is actually nourishing for a postpartum period and things that are really easy to eat one-handed. <laughs> Yes, little snacks, little bars, bars, You need to be eating like you need to keep those blood sugar levels up. It's very important that, you know, you don't just drop off a giant lasagna that feeds 28 people because nobody wants it. It's always lasagna. It's always lasagna. Or spag bowl, which hey is great, but you know, there's so many other ways to nourish with (laughs) healthier foods than that. Um, that's a lot on the weak digestive system of a newborn parent. So hence why the farts and things can be really intense when we're not eating food that is easy to digest. The body freaks out and the body's already doing enough, like already healing a lot. So easily digested foods like dals (laughs) and you know, curries, veggies, very almost think like if someone was really old and easy to digest food. So palatable foods that are very, you know, already quite mushy, already look like they're digested. That's what we're looking for, the consistency. Fine, wow. right? But there's some beautiful herbs Soups. and things like that you can look up to how to nourish that. The best way I find of asking for people is either at a baby shower when you've got everybody there or I don't know if you guys have heard of something called like a mother blessing. It's also commonly referred to as mm. a blessing way, but that's now culturally inappropriate to use that term. So a mother blessing is the best way of that term. There's also a beautiful service and I don't know how far they actually do it, but I know that there's, you know, a few different ones all around the world. The golden month. Yeah, They're Adelaide and surrounding areas, and I think Byron. They do Byron as well and surrounding. Oh, they're in Melbourne too. Yeah, and they're incredible. So they they give packages of exactly what you're saying. So even offering, you know, a weekly service and having that at their door, it's just popped in the fridge. There's little treats. There's meals. There's lunches. Um, and they're doing a wonderful job assisting with postpartum. And I think that's another, you know, if you're not going to get a doula as a present, that's another great, you know, if you know that you're not going to have the time or like sometimes it's hard like when you have kids yourself and your friend has a child to be Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to like keep dropping off food. It can be really difficult. So I think that's also a great present option. And it's really healthy. It isn't Macca's. It is actual pure health. really healthy and they're wonderful. Those girls are beautiful and they have such an incredible 
like the way that they've thought this aura. Mm. There's also another one um, called Mama Goodness here in Victoria that are incredible. There's a few popping up and the more the merrier, I say, because there's only so many women those little businesses can support. So everybody needs yeah. to just start these services because they're wonderful and really, really needed. And that I agree, especially if you live interstate or whatever and you want to take care of your friend who's interstate, yeah. like it's such a wonderful way of you feeling like you're there and being able to take care of somebody. So, yeah, I would suggest the best way to ask is at a blessing way or a mother blessing or a baby shower because you have people there who they're the people who really care about you they're the people who really want to see you thrive so there's a website called meal train and that's wonderful you can basically book in a little time slot and these are all things that you really need to do i love that it's too late once you have had a baby you don't you can't be delegating and asking for things then I would say even hiring a cleaner for a friend or booking in a cleaner to come in weekly, just to come in, get on top of the washing for you, you know, just a general tidy of the house. I know for me, if I'm sitting in the house and I'm feeling like a sloth and I just look around, my mind is just, it's very hard to switch off. And I think a lot of us would probably relate to that. My mom actually booked a cleaner for myself and my brother and his partner when they had a baby before we'd left hospital both times, just because it, yeah, I mean, she wanted to be there with like, you know, she's an amazing cleaner, but she wanted to be there for us personally and then so she hired a cleaner for each of us and this is the other thing i think i want to talk about when you have other children this is also a really important time where you need to lock in play dates you need to lock in care for your older children and also find time for somebody to look after the newborn baby where you can still connect to your toddler Mm. or older children because there's a lot happening for everybody in this household and when i say we look after a mother we look after a family we look after a community i really mean that like we can't forget that there's other people in that household dealing with this stuff too we need to be thinking about the partner we need to be thinking about the other children in that home it's a huge transition for everybody and there's so many ways of supporting everybody in that household during that time everybody's trying to find their new norm their new normal and it takes an adjustment period right like it doesn't just happen like that you know it takes those good six weeks and sometimes longer and that's okay too well I just love you and you've left me feeling so much lighter yeah you're fantastic that's made me like I thought I wasn't ready for another child no I'm definitely not ready for another child Goldie is doing my head in right now but you've made me think that in the future it will be amazing (laughs) I think yeah we all just gotta look out for each other you know that's why I started this why I wanted to become a doula is because I really believe that when we're held through birth, sickness, you know, huge transitions in moments, breakups, there's a form of rebirth when we go through a large transition in life. We do not walk into a rite of passage and come out the same person on the other end. And to be seen, witnessed, loved and held through that period is such a gift. And we can do that for each other all the time. By just having more reverence for ourselves, we naturally then have more reverence and more respect and time for other people. So it starts with you. And it's all well and good to have a, you know, have your everyone in their individual own houses doing their individual lives. But as a lot of people always say that it takes a village to raise a family, this is almost like the new age version of helping in a community that live in individual housing. You are actually helping by doing things like this doulas, meal trains, you know, you're not actually in each other's grill, but you are still reaching out a hand to say, hey, I'm here and I'm helping in any way I can. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, you guys are And every other doula, but mainly you, Sha. <laughs> Cha-cha. Cha-cha. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us so much information, being so open about your personal experience. And yeah, good luck with the rest of your pregnancy. And I hope that you have an incredibly magical birth 
birth and a restorative postpartum period. Yes. And yeah, good luck with it all. Thank you. I'm sure I will um I'll keep everyone up to date, I'm sure. Please do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been beautiful chatting to you guys. And I think you're doing such important work by having these conversations just your average mum out there. The doula thing can seem so woo-woo, but actually it's for everyone. And I hope that everyone feels that they deserve a doula after this combo. But I think that's what you have shown so brilliantly today is that, like, you know, when I first heard of a doula, I was like, oh, that sounds like a whole lot of fluff. And then as I guess they've kind of got a bit more spotlight, yeah, you know, especially coming from a medical background myself, I've kind of been like, oh, a doula is someone who just comes in and says, don't listen to the obstetrician. But like, there's so, you know, there's so much more to it than that and everyone can (laughs) everyone can have their own role in that space in helping the mother so absolutely I'm so glad that's what we all took from it you've you've totally made my day I've got a beautiful postpartum client this afternoon I'm so excited to go love her Tell her, oh, tell yeah. her to listen to Be On The Bump and tell everyone to listen to Be On The Bump and tell her that this one's coming out. So make sure she listens to your episode. I will. I will. She'll love it. Thank you so much, Charlotte. No worries, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond The Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.